Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. this morning and God is sovereign over nature and the heart. And I'm so glad you're here as we continue our study in Exodus chapter 7. You know, as we come today, so much has been happening this past month or so, well, for some time now. And so many of these things leave us with sometimes frustrating and desperate questions as we consider a, a, a summer or a fall with Tremendous hurricanes that are just destroying large swaths of land and civilization. People who are left without power and homes and water and food. And then we say, we think about just the hardness of man's heart in which a deranged man would begin shooting out a crowd. Or the other things that we see from time to time again. And it seems like these things sometimes come in waves and then with just pockets of it and then maybe a calmness and then just once again. And we're again face-to-face with disasters and man-made disasters and destruction. And sometimes you have to ask, where is God in all this? Is God judging us? Is this God's punishment? Or is God just abandoning us? Last week we have seen that God is a faithful, providential God who is actively involved in the affairs of men and nations. And I want you to understand that. Specifically, as we've been looking at our section, as God has called Moses with a supernatural, spectacular display of his glory and power over nature. Though Israel doubted their leaders and God, God continues to provide and pursue them by commissioning Moses to mediate with Pharaoh on his behalf. Moses contends with God over this calling and commission to rescue the people of Israel, but eventually he relents and obeys. We saw that Moses once again points towards Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who himself was called and commissioned to redeem God's children, not from physical slavery, but from the curse of sin and death that alienated us from God. And we also realize that we too are called and commissioned to mediate God's kingdom here on earth, serving as ambassadors of Christ, sharing the ministry of reconciliation, the message of repentance, and to believe in the name of Jesus for the salvation of our souls. Moses, as we come into this passage, the mediator of God, appears before Pharaoh, pronouncing the demand of God to let my people go. And you know what we need to do? And then we can cut this out later. But when it comes to that phrase right there, let my people go, we really need Charlton Heston, just a button, so that can come forth. Or maybe, uh, you know what, or who's the other guy? Morgan Freeman. Let my people go. That's beside the fact. But an apt... (laughs) What's that? I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, yes. In Exodus chapter 6, God had promised Israel, and this is important. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of Egypt, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So with this, we find that God has heard and seen, remembered, and knows their suffering. 
Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to read the opening passage here in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. In chapter 7, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. We've already seen this. God said, This is one of the signs that you shall do. In verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. No surprise. But in verse 11, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Father, open up our minds and hearts this past of Scripture. I pray that those that are listening here have done the, the difficult part of reading this past of Scripture, and we're praying over it. So with that now, let us respond to your Holy Spirit's work, as it now just combines all that together that we may obey you. Father, I pray that you would let me speak words that are edifying, let us determine the words that are my words and my opinions compared from just the word of God. For may we say, thus saith the Lord, and thus is the Lord. And may we rejoice and worship for the one who has called us, commissioned us, and given us uh, uh, an important role to play in Christ's kingdom. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, up to this point, I want to give you some observations, some simple ones, as we look at the whole chapter, chapter 7, uh, verse 8. We looked all the way through chapter 11 this past week. And again, I want to encourage you is just read the passage with us each week. We put that on Facebook. I share with you today is just read those passages. I think you'll get much more out of it as we go through this series. Well, up to this point, Moses has been the main human character of Exodus. We've seen some minor characters, but in chapter 7, Moses begins to flesh out Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the king of Egypt, who's only up to this point had been kind of a minor character so far. In Exodus, Pharaoh emerges as the representative of the bad guy, the evil guy. He's depicted as a man who oppresses God's people and resists God's command to let them go. Previously, God had prophesied about the response of Pharaoh to God's command in, in Exodus chapter 3. Even then, early then, he said, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. In Exodus chapter 4, God again told Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will not let my people go. In Exodus 6, he says, now see, now see what I will do for Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, I will send him out. And then again in Exodus chapter 7, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In the summary, we see four things in our reading from Exodus this week. I'll give them up on the monitor so you can follow with them because I'll go through them quickly. Through Moses, God repeatedly gives Pharaoh the chance to humble himself and to release the Israelites. He's going to give them nine different ways in which to do this, but yet Pharaoh never does. Multiple times, number two, we see that Pharaoh hardens his own heart to the very kindness of God and the judgments of God. Number three, the third thing that we see in this passage is that three times Pharaoh agrees to let the people go, to let the children of Israel go, but then he has a change of heart and continues to enslave him with the last observation that after repeated attempts to compel him to obey God, God then hardens Pharaoh's heart himself with a call to repent 
and obey his word. Now, as we read our opening passage, we read of Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh. And just as God predicted, Pharaoh demands proof of their God's existence and of their power. Pharaoh has his own God. So who is this God that we don't worship? Who is your God? Tell me who he is. Let me see proof of his existence. So Aaron does is what they were taught. He throws down the staff. It becomes a serpent. Does not surprise, intimidate, or even convince Pharaoh since he is able to command his own magicians to throw down their staffs, which also become serpents as well. But his heart is hardened when he observes that the staff of Moses and Aaron begins to swallow up all the various serpents of the Egyptian magicians, which then think of it, I wonder what they did for staffs. They had to go out and buy a new one. Moses writes, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now this sets up the rest of our passage for the week as God begins to demonstrate his power and sovereignty over nature, nations, and the human heart. So I want to share with you two truths that we're going to look at. First one, point one, is that the ten plagues function as judgments against Egypt and demonstrates that God is sovereign over nature and nations. Once again, the ten plagues are going to function here in this passage as judgments against Egypt in order to demonstrate that God is sovereign over both nature and nations. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, if you just want to follow Luke, we'll look through several passages as we go through. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, we read that the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let me go. Thus begins a battle of wills between the almighty God of the universe and Pharaoh, the human king of Egypt. One might ask, why is Pharaoh's heart so hard? Why won't he let them go? Well, we must remember that it's fear and self-preservation has led him to enslave the Israelites. His fear and self-preservation will not let him humble himself. Once the Israelites were guests of an earlier generation and political dynasty, they have fallen out of favor mainly because of God's blessing in preserving them. As their numbers have increased, their population has increased, the Egyptians are afraid that the children of Israel will turn against them and take over the country. To keep them from doing so, Pharaoh embarks on a quest to keep them so exhausted from, from their labor and killing their male babies to keep their numbers down and eventually outlive them. One theologian notes that Pharaoh's oppression of Israel is a politically motivated policy of economic exploitation and ethnic cleansing. We see the same type of thing happening even today in other countries. Pharaoh is afraid of regime change in which he would wind up uh, enslaved or killed himself. And so self-preservation and an outsized sense of his own worth and power is going to lead many to harden their hearts against foe and friend alike. Again, we see that today. And like most of us, Pharaoh's pride would not let him make a different choice. Think about it. Letting Moses take the Israelites out of the land would have solved the issue of an internal rebellion. Just let them go. Take them out of the equation. Then your country is safe. Yet his pride would not let him even consider the idea. His stubbornness and pride is a per perfect picture of Proverbs 16, which states that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Now, this doesn't take Yahweh, the name of God, by surprise. By the way, you'll be hearing me saying Yahweh a little bit more. It's the personal name of God. I believe it's one personally just for myself, one that I believe that we should use a little bit more often. You may recall from our earlier messages that God had told Moses that that the king of Pharaoh will not let you go. He says that I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Earlier, even in Genesis, 400 years earlier, God had declared, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And this judgment against Egypt is going to take the form of 10 plagues. And you'll see them here on the monitor. We're not going to go over each and every one today. You've read them. Many of you have known them. But you see, they have the 10 plagues of Egypt. Everything from the Nile to the water to the frogs and to the lice to the flies, disease on the livestock, the, the boils on the people, the hail and the fire, the locusts, the darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. As you look at these plagues and as you read of them, the ten plagues move from minor to major inconveniences, then to property damage, then to personal discomfort, to eventually the death of the firstborn male in every household. One theologian notes that the plagues have two purposes. That first, the ten plagues demonstrate God's power over all creation, in contrast to the feeble gods of Egypt. We must remember that God is doing something here with each and every one. He's suspending, so to speak, uh, the, the laws of nature. One man asks, though, how were they successful in mimicking the plagues? If you recall from your reading this past week, the Egyptian magicians were able to turn their staffs into serpents. They were able to, or serpents. They were able to turn the Nile River into blood and conjure up a host of frogs themselves. And to be honest, as I read it, I'm not sure why they would even do this. It seems self-destructive to me, but in reality, that's the purpose of the source of their magic. You see, the source of their magic was demons that had convinced these Egyptians that they were actually gods. From scripture, we learn that all earthly gods are fronts for Satan to rob Yahweh of his true worship. And from scripture, we learn that Satan desires to destroy all that God has made, including man who is made in the image of God. Now, we also must remind you that Satan and his host of demons have no power other than that which God himself gives them. In this case, God permits these demon worshipers to mimic God's miraculous wonders, only to use them as judgments against themselves. The demonic serpents were swallowed up by God's one serpent. And by turning the water into blood and producing more frogs, they only served to make the Egyptian lives more difficult. Why would they do so? Thinking that they were as powerful as God, they only served to make things worse. As we continue with the plagues, we read that the magician's powers would be muted and could not continue to mimic God's power as he continued. So they were to demonstrate God's power over all creation in contrast to the gods of Egypt. The ten plagues are also acts of divine justice that were meant to compel Pharaoh to humble himself and let Israel go free. One theologian, Don, or Dan Ortland, notes that God demonstrates his supremacy over Egypt and his faithfulness to Israel by sending plagues against the Egyptians while protecting Israel from the destructive effects of the, plug, uh, the plague. Excuse me. I don't know if you saw this in your reading, 
But you'll see that God sets the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived and in part from the judgments of the plagues of the flies and the rest that followed. They did not experience many of these plagues. God protects his children. So as we see, the first thing is that the ten plagues functions as judgments against Egypt and demonstrates God's sovereignty over nature and over nations. The second point that we want to look at this morning is that the twin causes of hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the twin causes of hardening of Pharaoh's heart demonstrate that God himself is sovereign over the human heart. You and I many times think we're in control of our heart, we're in control of all things, but yet we see that there's twin causes that work together. Take your Bibles, if you would please, turn to Exodus chapter 11. This would have been the ending verse of our passage this week. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 10, we get a summary of Pharaoh's heart after the first nine plagues. Here Moses records that Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his hand. We find two causes as we read this passage of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart towards God and his children. Seven times Moses writes that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. His own pride and his his, his desire not to humble himself, he did it himself. I will not let them go. What his fear, his self-preservation, his pride says, I'm going to harden. I will not see them as individuals. I will see them as enemies. But then Moses also records five times that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We see three things happening in these passages. Number one, God knew that Pharaoh would resist, but he still gave him many chances to repent and obey. God knew that Pharaoh would resist, but still he gave him many chances to repent and obey. So as we look at this cause, this is that cause in ourselves in which our hearts are hardening by our own self. There was some halfway obedience and agreement on the part of Pharaoh after the four of these plagues. In Exodus chapter chapter 8, we'll see that during the flies, he says you can sacrifice in the land. Go within the land. In other words, I won't let you leave without, but you can go and sacrifice within the land. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 28 again, after the flies again, he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll let you go, but you cannot go very far away. Still, just a halfway obedience. When it comes to Exodus chapter 10 and the plagues of the locusts, he says, well, I tell you what, you can sacrifice, but you cannot sacrifice without uh, sacrifice with your families. Your, Your wives and your children must stay here. In other words, he says, only the men among you may go. Obviously, wanting to keep them stranded there. And then after the darkness and the sacrifice, he says, you may sacrifice without your livestock. Go, take your children, take your wives, but leave all your property, all your livestock here and go sacrifice. Only each time Moses respond that halfway obedience is not sufficient. Yahweh expects full compliance with his command to let his people go. And each time Pharaoh would refuse. He starts to bargain with God. I think similar to many of us today. Number two, we see that Pharaoh's evil finally reaches a point of no return. 
In at least two instances, it seems as if Pharaoh has learned his lesson. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 9. Should be a page or so over, depending where you are. In Exodus chapter 9, look at verse 27 with me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. And as I read this, I thought, he's finally getting it. This is where a sinner needs to come to. Plead with the Lord, he says, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. This, this seems like a good sign, but then turn to Exodus chapter 10. and Look at verse 16. For we know that he doesn't do so. In chapter 10, verse 16, Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron back again. And said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin. Please only this once and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. Yet with each offer of repentance and forgiveness, of saying the words, I have sinned, please forgive me. The very sinner prayer many times that we ask people to say. He changes his mind. Moses tells us in Exodus 8.15 that when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite in the judgment, that when the Lord would relent from his judgment, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. In other words, there's a cycle. There would be a plague. Pharaoh would repent. Moses would intercede for Pharaoh and say, Stop, Lord, there's enough frogs, there's enough gnats, there's enough this and that. So God relents. But then Pharaoh hardens his heart. Unfortunately, this is the very similar to us today. If you were to read the book of Judges, you would see the children of Israel do the same thing. Rebel, uh, judgment, repent. Rebel, judgment, repent. Very much today. God calls and commissions us to obey. You and I, we contend with God. He disciplines us. We repent. Jesus intercedes for us as our great advocate. God restores. And then we continue the cycle once again. Like Pharaoh, or Pharaoh, I should say, he takes the ending of each plague. When God stops the plague, Pharaoh takes each, each ending of the plague as a victory of his will over Yahweh rather than God's kindness in ending the judgment. Like Pharaoh, we must understand the very character and workings of God. The Apostle Paul warns us in Romans chapter 2, listen to this, Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So many times we think that we're just outworking or outliving God or outwilling him. But God's kindness to us is meant to lead us to repentance. And each time that God would stop the plague, that should have led him then to true repentance, but it never did. He would use the very kindness of God and said, See, I outwilled God. I am stronger than him. The writer of Hebrew warns us that continued rebellion against God may go too far. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 warns us of this very thing using the example of Esau, the twin brother of Jacob 
who despised the promises of God that was given to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, or Isaac and Jacob, who was the firstborn of Isaac, by selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. As the firstborn, he would receive the covenant of Abraham, but yet he despised it and he would rather have it for a bowl of soup. The writer of Hebrews tells us, For you know that afterwards, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing from his father, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. What we learn is Pharaoh evil reaches a point of no return. The third point we see, you see it up there on the screen, is God bends Pharaoh's evil to accomplish his purpose. He bends Pharaoh's evil to accomplish his purpose. Pharaoh's disobedience, his rebellion, his rejection of Yahweh's command to serve God rather than frustrate, serve God rather than frustrate his plan. God raised up Pharaoh to display his power and glory in order that the children of Israel, their future generations, Pharaoh himself, the Egyptians, his magicians, the demonic powers behind their gods, and all the nations may give witness to the power and the wonder and the glory of the Almighty God. Take your Bibles very quickly again. Exodus chapter 9. Look back in Exodus chapter 9. He says of Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 2, he says that you may tell in the hearings of your sons and your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and the signs that I've done. In Exodus chapter 11, he says, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh may have thought that he was in charge, but his very evil, the very hardness of his heart, served the purposes of God. Pharaoh thinks he's in charge. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 21 that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. The prophet Isaiah quotes God's decree when he says, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. The Lord of hosts has purpose. Who will annul it? Who can frustrate the plan of God? The psalmist says that the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Pharaoh was raised up for the very purposes of God, thinking that he was promoting his agenda, that he was in charge. He served the very purposes of God. Of Pharaoh, the apostle Paul would write, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name may be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So as we see that God is sovereign even over the human hearts. Now these two spiritual truths are meant to be a source of comfort and encouragement. They serve to demonstrate the power of God over nature and nations and the hearts of men. First to the children of Israel who were enslaved under the harsh regime of Pharaoh. He is to them, he is the most powerful man in the world at the time. He has the power over their very life and death. 
He can make their life bearable or he can make it miserable as we saw, sees that he does. Yet what, Yahweh introduces himself to these, these, these people as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and promises that he'll be faithful to the covenant with them. He has heard and seen and remember and knows their suffering and he'll send a redeemer. The fact that God is the God who is sovereign over all things is a source of comfort and encouragement to these children of Israel that are enslaved. Secondly, to the generation that Moses is writing, remember we shared with you last week, the generation that, that is actually reading Exodus for the very first time are the grandsons, the sons and the grandsons. He is recording for them God's wonderful faithfulness and providence and sovereignty while they will as they find strength to prepare to enter the promised land. They will be facing enemies that are going to be described as giants in the land. Moses wants them to obey God and not fall into the trap of rebellion as their fathers did, who because of their mumbling and rebellion wound up dying in the wilderness. Rescued from slavery in Egypt, they never entered into the promised land. Yet thirdly, it serves as example and a testimony to future generations of Israelites to remind them of God's wonderful and mighty power, no matter where they were or what the circumstances they were to worship the God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And you see that as you go through the books of the Bible. You'll see that many times the prophets would talk about Moses. Psalms 103, I believe that's the psalm, weaves, Psalms 103 and maybe 104, weaves the history of Israel. And it relies much on what God did through Israel and Moses. If we go to the great sermon in Acts, the testimony of Stephen as he preached before he was killed, martyred for his faith, he gives the story again of Israel speaking of Moses and how God redeemed. It was a source of encouragement and strength for them to remember that God is sovereign over all disasters, over all judgments, and over even the human heart and nations. And fourthly, it serves as a source of strength and encouragement to you and I today. For we too are children of promise. God has grant, grafted us into the tree of Abraham and we now are children of God. We too are called to worship the almighty, wonderful Yahweh who loves and provides for his children. We are also able to give gratitude and worship to the God who is sovereign over the hearts over all those that has granted to us the gift of repentance and a new heart that is able to worship him in truth and some spirit. Without these wonderful gifts of mercy, we too would be like Pharaoh, without hope. And you and I must realize as we read back the story, it's more than just some type of fantastic story that makes for a good movie or TV series. It's more than just an, an action Bible filled with stories, but displays the very wonder and character of who God is. And from it, we find strength and encouragement just as they do. I want to close here as we come to, to, to pull it all together. I want to close with two thoughts. The first one that someone may ask as they look at these judgments, as they look at these disasters that are coming on, onto Egypt, you may be thinking about today. What about today? We're facing all sorts of natural disasters. Our natural disaster is the judgment of God against us today. And I'll say the answer is simply yes and no. It's both. You and I must remember that Yahweh is active in the world today. He's not absent. He's not neglectful. 
Scripture is full of miraculous events that depict God intervening in the affairs of men. They serve both as judgment against rebellion and as a blessing to those that are suffering. Even today, God is involved in healing and discipling and disciplining his children. We also must remember that nature and all of creation is still guided by his ever-present hand. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus, that for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So there are no hurricanes, there are no floods, there are no tornadoes or disasters that take him by surprise. So yes, all natural events are ordained by God. And this is difficult for us to understand. We think many times, well, this is just the climate and it's all this. It's either man-made or human, whatever. And all this is just God's hand is not in it. But we must understand that yes, God is sovereign over nature even today. So they're all events, all natural events ordained by God and they are used for his purpose. Now that's difficult for understand. What's the purpose for the people of Puerto Rico? What's the purpose for those that are affected by Harvey and so on and so forth? Now personally, I do not believe that God uses natural disasters. And I'm going to speak of myself personally. I do not believe that God uses them to judge nations and people specifically today. As we see in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, it seems like every natural human disaster, some pastor will stand up and say, well, it's God's judgment against, then fill in the blank. Whatever evil, that, or whatever evil, whatever cultural thing that you hate the most, fill in the blank. Pat Robertson, so on and so forth. Fill in the blank. It's God's judgment against these people. I believe they're in error. For scripture tells that that creation itself is fallen. And disasters are a result of it. So if we're looking for why are there disasters? Are they true judgments of God? Yes and no. Paul wrote to the Roman church that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Jesus himself taught the disciples in Matthew chapter 24. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that, they are, that, that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. Place. But the end is not yet. He was answering the question, is this the end of the days? For he says, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And he says, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And I'll, I'll take you to our, our, our webpage, orangevilla.org. You can see our series in Matthew in which we answered, what is this talking about? What's the question? Just what, several weeks ago, we had another Christian man. I don't know if he was a pastor or not. I think some scientist or something who said the world was going to end on, does anyone remember the date? It was, what was it? The 23rd. So we're the ones that are left behind. But you think, why do they come out and say this? And we lose credibility so many times. 
what you and I are experiencing when we see Harvey and, and all the other ones and Nate coming through this week and I haven't heard any results of yet, but when we see the earthquakes and the volcano eruptions and the famines and all these things that are happening in the world, you and I are experiencing the birth pains of creation. That is awaiting the final judgment of God. One theologian rightly notes that the ten plagues become iconic images of God's justice against evil. And they are also often adapted by the Hebrew prophets and in the New Testament to speak of God's future judgment. He is speaking about the final judgment against the nations that's found in Revelation. For God will judge the nations again specifically. And Revelation tells us that the seven trumpets, they mirror very much the plagues of Egypt. Today, just as then, when we see hurricanes, when we see disasters, they point to God's sovereignty and God's power and God's glory. And it's meant to humble our hearts and turn towards Him. The second question I want to answer today is how are you and I to find comfort and encouragement with all the evil that is in men's hearts today? For our world is populated with pharaohs. Whether it's in the White House, in the UN, or down your street, or in your home. Or in your own mirror, there are pharaohs. People who have hardened their hearts and rebelled against a holy God. Again, I would point out to the fact that evil is a tool that God uses to accomplish his purpose. Evil is not a power unto itself. It is not one who rises up and says, I will compete with God for the throne. Today, just as all of history, evil is personified in Satan, the enemy of God. Pharaoh stands in as a type of Satan. But Satan is not equal to God. He is not all-powerful or all-knowing or all-present. He is subservient to Yahweh, the I Am. Scripture tells us that just as God raised up Pharaoh as the foe of God who oppresses his people and so in order that God may display his power and glory, God has raised up Satan as the foe of God who oppresses his people in order that God may display his power and glory. Satan, like Pharaoh, may think that he stands against God, but yet he doesn't. And even in all of his evil acts, just like Pharaoh, he serves the very purposes of God. And like Pharaoh, who perished according to God's judgment, Satan himself will one day perish. The Apostle John, near the end of his life, wrote in Revelation chapter 12, he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, the one who accuses them day and night before our God. You and I must not be frustrated or find despair in a world that seems to be full of ferals. Evil men and women the desire to oppress others. We do not need to fret over Satan and those who do his bidding. For yes, our hearts join with creation as Paul would continue to write. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, first fruits of the Spirit, we groan in, inwardly, excuse me, as we await eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemptions of our body. For in that hope we are saved. You and I have a promise as the children of Israel that he will let his people go, that he will redeem us from this. Like you, I yearn for the day when we can attend a concert without the fear of a deranged fool shooting in a crowd. I yearn for the day when we can fully trust our leaders to rule in righteousness and justice. I yearn for the day when we no longer murder our children only because they're an inconvenience. I yearn for the day that men and women can live in harmony and unity. I yearn for the day that we truly love Yahweh with all of our hearts, our minds, and our soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. That day is not today, but I yearn for it. But the encouragement is, is that you and I can attain to some sense of harmony and unity today. You see, God in his mercy has softened our hardened, rebellious, disobedient hearts. We, like Pharaoh, sometimes make halfway uh, attempts of obedience. We may take some types of attempts of, of culpability. I have sinned. Please forgive me. But yet we know that our heart continues to be hardened. But he has softened our hardened, rebellious, dis disobedient heart by giving us the gift of repentance. And you and I must realize that repentance is not something that we can jur up ourselves. That's a gift of God. And it's through the work of Jesus who paid our penalty and earned our righteousness. It's through the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, who gives us that new heart of flesh to all that God calls to him. He has also adopted us as his sons and, his, and daughters, and he has given us a new family called the church. And in the local church is God's community that is committed to living out the purposes of God. Yes, we are still struggle with sin, yet we trust in the God who is faithful, who is providential and sovereign, and we trust him completely. Yet it seems that we have overwhelmed with a battle, with our battle against culture and against politics, and against science, and those that hate God and His Son. But I want you to take heart from the words of the psalmist who sings in Psalm chapter 2, it's here on the monitors. As you and I wonder, what is this world coming to? Where is that leader who can lead us into harmony, into peace, and to give us unity? For the world is filled with pharaohs. Listen to the psalmist. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits on the heavens laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make your, the nations your heritage and the ends of your earth your possessions. In verse 9, he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed all who take refuge 
in him. May Yahweh, our God, comfort us with his power, glory, and might. The one who is sovereign over nature, nations, and the very heart of men. For we are his people, his beloved children, the apple of his eye. Let us hold on to truth that's found in scripture. Where he says, may the God of our God, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Do not be fret or do not be frustrated for God is sovereign over all things in order that he may display his glory that we may see and worship him. Would you do so this morning? With every head bowed and every guy who's closed as the worship team comes up, I'd like you to take a moment and just to pause to consider, pray, and respond to the Holy Spirit. What strength, what words of encouragement do you find in the passages that we read this past week? Maybe you see yourself as Israel, one who many times doubts the power and faithfulness of our God. Maybe you're one who's like Pharaoh. You've hardened your heart against the very word of God. And your repentance has been halfway. Your obedience has been halfway. I would call you to repentance because there is a sense in which it goes too far and God begins to harden your heart against his very word. Do not do so, my friend, but turn to him. Call upon him. And I guarantee you, all that come to him, he will no wise cast out. Would you find comfort in the God who is sovereign over all things? Father, we pray that you would just strengthen us this morning. Let us find encouragement and strength and even wisdom from this passage. As we live in a world where, where it seems like destruction is all around and we wonder about your judgment. Father, we wonder about this world as we see evil, as little pharaohs walking around. Father, let us see that you're sovereign over all things. And may that bring us comfort, encouragement, but also may it give us gratitude and thankfulness for the one who came and softened our hearts and called us to yourself. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.